I got a good Ted Nugent story. And in the early 80s, I was in New York and I went to one of the first sort of new music seminar things. It's some in the in the function room of some hotel. Yeah. And I, was, I wasn't really invited and I went with some friends and I was just, didn't have a seat. And I was standing in the aisle, right? Yeah. And I wasn't really paying attention. But what had gone on, while I was standing there, because I was chatting and I had a drink, was that they'd invited Ted Nugent up to the stage and told everybody what a great, wild, crazy, doesn't give a shit kind of guy he is. But I was oblivious to this because I was chatting. And he walked down to go and get an award or something like that. And as he walked down, with his Cuban Hill shoes, he trod on my foot. And I went, you fucking cunt, because it hurt, <laughs> right? And do you know what he said? And this is the real crazy, <laughs> crazy wild guy. He went, hey, sorry. And the whole audience went, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Um, thank you for giving me some time today. Oh. I've done a lot of research, and, and prior to this, actually, a lot of confusion out there. I, I know initially when I talk to artists and, and as I've done some interviews and everyone or to mention your name gets excited. And it's just a guy's honest truth. Very influential. But what's really crazy is a lot of people still at no level, different levels of the music industry still don't get your part in the sex pistols. Like what you recorded, what you didn't record, what you got credit for. Like some people think Sid was like some mastermind, you know, and, not going to disparage him, but he's he's you know, more of a puppy. He just was kind of his own thing. But as far as musicians go, it's still not a lot of clarity. Like people don't really get how much you did, you know. Well, I, there you go. You know, <laughs> what can I say? I know, and it's yeah. kind of frustrating. I'm like, I know. I'm like, I was just talking to somebody the other night about, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, like Sid. I'm like, yeah, like Glenn. Glenn wrote songs. Glenn, Glenn was really. Yeah, no, I didn't write all the songs. Uh, but you wrote the songs. You were involved in the the, the album that. Yeah. As a band, you created those songs. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a good part. I had a good hand in writing all the good bits. You know, right. So, and yeah. but, but do you know what? I will tell you this now. I know you're probably more Sex Pistols centric, but that was a long, long time ago, and I've done lots of stuff. You know, with varying degrees. Since one of my all-time favourite things I did, I, I got. To, the bands that I used to stand in front of the mirror when I was 14, mm -hmm. pretending I was in and playing, I played with them. Faces? Yeah, the faces. I'm interested in you. We didn't, we didn't do that many gigs, but the last gig we did was in front of 50,000 people headlining the Fuji Festival in Japan. It was like me and Ronnie Wood, Kenny Jones, Ian McGregor, Rudd didn't do it, but um, Mick Hutton did it. It was very good. I used to stand in front of the mirror pretending I was in them. That, that's the biggest thing I felt I've ever done. And, awesome. and, and, and it was good. I heard Ronnie is, guy, like, is like one of the sweetest guys out there, too. He is. He, yeah, he's cool. He, he's, in fact, he's, so my, he's my neighbor. Is he? And, yeah. And he's not long had kids. I haven't seen him for a while because of COVID, but it's quite funny coming outside and seeing them pushing the pram. He's been <laughs> to the park, Ronnie Wood. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, cool. that's, that's funny. I mean, no, and I'm actually, it's not just. And do, you know, do you know what I found in life? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. Everybody's got to be somewhere. So there you go. Well, the reality is, if you do this with COVID and, and people don't realize that you guys, your income is moving and, and that the industry's changing. 
and, and I don't think people, the other part with this show is to talk about the full, full um, the gamut of what you've done. You're not just that, that piece of time with the Sex Pistols. Yeah, it's, it's a good starting point for us to talk about, but I yeah. know you've done a ton of stuff. And that's the whole point. It's like, you're a full person. It's not just, wasn't he the bass player at some point? No, you did this. I know you did the Rich Kids and it was a Spectres. Um, Spectres. Yep. Sorry, say it wrong. Except, you know, we, we came to the States. It wasn't one of my biggest runaway successes. It didn't help when we got off the plane. And the Spectre means yep. the same in English as it sounds in America, but you spell it different. Yes. You know, I, I could never understand why Phil Spectre spe spelt his name wrong until I got there. <laughs> and I've got a band called the Spectres R-E-S. And everybody got this guy, Spectres. Well, what is that? <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, see, Two that's... nations divided by a common language. I no, I won't say this. Go on, but yeah, go on. Um, we'll get you started on base. Like, your influences? I mean, prior to all the punk stuff. I mean, what got you? Pick I up? When I was ten years old, and I sort of started listening to music with a vengeance. In England, we didn't have like a, a, a decent, proper radio station, a national radio station. We mm -hmm. do now, but it's not very good. But because of that, all the all these pirate radio stations started and they were on boats just outside British territorial waters, illegal. Well, they weren't mm -hmm. really illegal, but they, but they was playing stuff by the Kinks and the Who and the Yardbirds and the Rolling Stones and the Small Faces. And it was fantastic. And it coincided with all the kids having a little miniature transistor radio. They'd not long come out. Yep. And you'd hear all this, this stuff, you know, and it just seemed really exciting. I was too young to do about it. And then we had... Not long after that, the very best rock show ever on the TV, it was called Ready, Steady, Go. And all those bands would play on there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was hosted by a woman called Dusty Springfield, you must yep. have heard of, yep. who'd been to America and discovered Tamla Motown and Stax. And she insisted that they had those people on the, studio, on the show. Nice. Uh, well, it was, it was fantastic. You know, and they're playing yeah. live. And it was like, wow, you know, and all that kind of that three-minute pop song that's of some kind of consequence, it, it just sunk in. And that, that was what got me going. Then it was around about that time I asked my folks for a guitar, and I got one. I didn't really learn to play it very well at that age, but I, I kind of persevered with it. And Yeah. So, so actually, it was regular guitar, because you know you play guitar, but you know him for bass and that part, but you kind of go back and forth. Yeah, every song I've ever written, I've written on an acoustic guitar. That's and all the bands, all, all the bands you do though, is, is, is guitar though? I mean, as a bass, like when you. Well, a bass is is, and then somebody when I was just at the end of my school days, somebody was selling a bass cheap, and I got one, and I learned to play that. And um, although you find out it's kind of quite boring playing bass without an amplifier at home <laughs> by yourself. Right. Yeah. But what you can Same. do is, I found out if you haven't got an amp, you can jam it against the wardrobe, you know, the closet door. Yeah. And there's like a big sound box, and then you can hear it a bit better. But, but you soon <laughs> realise you need to play yeah. with other people. And I did something with a couple of mates at school, but I was working for a guy called Malcolm Claren who ended up with Sex Pistols, and these guys come in the, the store when I was working there. Then it was Stephen Paul, and they was getting a band together, and their bass player never turned up. And I said, well, I play bass, and they went, you do? And I was the same age for them. And they said, what's your favourite band? And I said, The Faces. And they went, oh, that's our favourite band too. And that was it. This was before John was in a band. 
Mm-hmm. But we started rehearsing and we kind of learned to play with it. You know, we learned to play together, basically. That was you and uh, Paul and Steve? Yeah, and there was, another guy, there was another guy called Wally Nightingale. Okay. And originally, yeah. Steve was the singer. But he weren't very good. <laughs> We've heard his albums. Yeah. But he was all right, but he kind of... Um, he thought he was like a cross between Tom Jones, Roy Orbison, and Steve Ellis from the Mother Thirty. <laughs> That's quite a mixture, too. <laughs> it was, yeah. That's um, yeah, because there are there's a lot of like misinformation, and I know you were actually working at the show. Was it, it's called, was it called strictly just called Sex? Is it, that was the name of it. No, right? originally it was called Let It Rock, and it was a teddy boy shop. You know, like fifty. Yep, yep, that was the the Beatles were big into that when they first started too. That was their, the teddy boys. Yeah, yeah. Was, I mean, that was a thing over there. Um, so it's just a regular hip clothing. Do you know sport. why it's called Teddy Boys? I'm going to educate you, Americans. No, I I love this. I said, please. Because in the early part of last century, the Edwardian age, all and it was called the Edwardian age because there was like King Edward the Eighth or something like that. All all the upper class is used to wear like the the styles that they use, slightly longer jackets and velvet collars and fancy lads kind of it. And then the working class kids started wearing it later on. Yeah. Edward, Ted, Teddy Boys. So oh. that's what, there you go. I, that, that's good, thank you. <laughs> and that kind of coincided with rock and roll. And, and that's how the Pardon? And that, that was how the, the store kind of was originally? Well, yeah, it was geared to that. And it was geared to that because back then, everybody but everybody had long hair and flares. And I think Malcolm saw it as a way of being a bit different. You know, and there was this slight sort of underground of teddy boys listening to rock and roll music as opposed to Tales of the Topographic Ocean by Yes, you know, which was a load mm-hmm. of old bollocks, really, you know. They could play yeah. it, but like, it was all much ado about nothing. Very Shakespearean. Oh, oh that, that album? I, I, I'm a fan of that, too, so I love them all. I, I, I'd say I, I do. I do love... I have moments with everything. I can go... I, I run the gamut. Let me say, so the shop, you had a... An, uh, the bands, though, there were other bands in there, right? I mean, they were playing in that, in that time period. Like, what was, where the bands were going on? Did you, was there other artists that you were, like, like what was the scene? I, here, here's the thing. Well, the thing is, I've Malcolm, Malcolm has really dirtied the water with, like, stories that have been out there. I think it's probably an interesting scene there, and just, like, you know, the lineage. Well, there, wasn't, there wasn't really a scene for our age group. No? That's why, that's why we formed a band to make one. I mean, there was the, there was the faces we liked. Mm-hmm. But they were playing at Wembley Stadium or be off on tour in America, so they weren't around very often. You know, and there was a few bands like that, Motley Hoople, Bowie, it's sort of been and gone, you know, the Spiders from Mars thing, gone to America, it wasn't around. No local bar or pub scene bands that were kind of well, like... Well, there was, and there was a pub rock kind of thing going on, and they were mainly older guys who'd been to okay. the States once and come back and wanted to play six days on the road, but I'm going to see my baby tonight, you know. Yeah. But, but, but there were a few people who were good out of that. One of the bands was Doctor Feelgood. They were good. Yeah, the Stranglers kind of came through on that, um, and there was a great band called Kilburn and the High Roads, which featured Ian Dury, who ended up filming the Blockheads. But um, I heard of them. I have to look them up after. They're good. They did a great single called Rough Kids that Chris Thomas produced. But when they got their little record bill, they came in the store because Malcolm knew them. Mm-hmm. And I actually measured, measured them up for, for their stage clothes. Nice. That's your so first stage you see Ian Dury wearing, a, in the early days, wearing a dark grey, double-breasted gabardine zoot suit, I was the bloke who measured them up for it. 
So I say up and around. I guess you have, your hands are and everything. Um, so, so from there, so let's say you, you went in and. See, and you have a thing like that. Yeah, I yeah. did some tour, tour with Sylvain Sylvain. Yeah. And I said, and he met Malcolm in America early on. You know, he got involved mm-hmm. with the New York Dolls. And I said, how did you make, where did you make Malcolm? And he said, well, we met him at a clothing convention. I said, what on earth was you doing at a clothing convention? He said, what was I doing at a clothing convention? He said, I used to have a jean store. Do you know what? I sold a pair of dungarees to Janis Joplin. He was really proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> and because they were, you know, on the scene, more than Malcolm, they were going yeah. to a gig and I invited Malcolm along. And that's how he got him. He'd heard about the New York scene, which we didn't really have over. And he told us about it. But all the bands that he saw hadn't made any records. We had no idea what anybody sounded like. We just saw a few pictures of them. And it kind of influenced us a bit. So it was all sort of mixed in there somehow. What I think is interesting, so like, obviously you work for Malcolm and then he, by default, you end up getting it with the pistols. But then the story goes that you kind of, kind of didn't, you and Malcolm and Johnny kind of didn't go that good. So you got, you kind of moved on. Yeah. With, is that kind of true? I mean, like yeah, I said, it was kind of pretty, pretty much true. Yeah. When I was in the band, it was kind of like a band by the kids for the kids, mm-hmm. you know, akin to the early Who or something like that. That's why I saw it. And then Malcolm wanted to turn it into this media exercise, which I didn't really see, you know, or want to be part of. Was he and kind of the same person when he started? Off? Was he more of a chill person when he first started and did the band kind of change him or was he kind of that's John? No, Malcolm. John, John, I think, has always been John. No, John changed. Really? He, was quite, he was a quite a sweet, quiet guy when we first met him. And soon he's got he's got his face in the paper. He, he just totally he became abrasive. You have to say it. I guess I'll say it. But Mal- Malcolm was always a very interesting guy. He'd been around. Yeah. And he was 10 years older than us. I had a, had a bit more kind of way with all. He had a very good address book. Which I knew because when I made the, when I measured people up for the suits, mm-hmm. I had to phone up the tailor, and his address book. It wasn't alphabetical; it was just loads of numbers. So every time I had to find the tailor's number, I had to go through everything, and he had all these names, you know, like International Times, which is an underground magazine. Yeah. DIRA, Yoko Ono, <laughs> the editor of the NME. He'd have all these numbers. He knew loads of people, right? and every time I went through. Is a dress book, not snooping, but just to find the number yeah. of Mr. Green, the tailor in the East End of London. I thought, this, what's this bloke's got a lot of shit going on here. Yeah. A lot of weird things they have out there out in the open, too. Kind of a. Yeah. There weren't nothing wrong with it, apart from maybe the IRA, but there you go. No, no, but I'm saying you would have a little more organized, some bigger names. You wouldn't just have it, you know. He weren't that kind of guy. That's pretty funny. So, just you hit the last part of the sexual stuff before we move on to some of your other stuff you've done. Right before you left, so you, you guys jam, you, you kind of, the, the dispute is you, so you wrote some of the songs or you're part of the songs. The album came out. Did you leave or what? And then the credits have um, Sid, if you look at most of the albums. And, and yeah, no, I left just before the album was made, but they're my, you know, they're my songs. And there was the songs that we'd done as, as another album that came out called um, Spunk. Spunk, which that, is that was like that's all me on that. And if you listen, I think, the album is exactly the same, apart from the production is better on Nevermind the Bollocks, and the bass playing isn't quite so good. But the songs are the same. The uh, the rumor is that you that 
I know there's a rush to get the albums out, I guess, at the time, I guess, because uh, Malcolm had worked all these crazy deals with like with the Convergent, and then I don't know who Spunk did, it was like a French company, right? A French label. And then America. Oh, had I, don't know. I wish I knew. It was a big label. Well, 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 one of the story, Barclay or something, one of the, one of the things they say is they, they have suspects of how that Spunk album came out. Well, well, I did meet somebody who, who was involved in more recent years who said they was involved in it, and they said that Malcolm gave them the thing. Yeah, so, there's, was, there's three names named, and you were one of them that may have been behind the scenes. No, no, what I did behind the scenes in later years, I found out a bit about it. It was putting that out, and I so, not kind of called a halt to it, but I made sure that we all got paid out of it. But I didn't put it out, it was already out. Oh, that's right. cool. Um, yeah, it was just like a weird, it wasn't like pointing fingers. They just said, you know, they don't know how the album got out. And then I know, well, that's the other thing. I know as a band, you guys got, all got kind of screwed. And as far as getting paid at some point, in different ways. Did you at least get some kind of credit at some point? I mean, I'm not looking for like money. but no, I mean, did, I mean you get... I've, I've always had my, the, the songwriting went four ways. I didn't necessarily agree to that. But, um, but you did get always... credit? Oh, yeah. If you okay. look at the album, it's got Glenn Matlock and the songwriting all the time. Okay. Well, I only, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's so, because there was no internet and, and then the way the Sex Whistles came out, it was, everything was everywhere. So I think mm. of all the bands, when I look up stuff, you know, following since as a kid, I've always heard so many different stories that it's really loosey-goosey with you. Uh, right. you, you now now you come to the horse's mouth, right? Well, you know yeah. So we got past the Sex Whistles and that was important. I, want, I heard, you, you know, you got past, you got some credit and that was always an important thing. From there, let's pick up and really talk about your. From there, you left. There's a dispute, Johnny and um, Malcolm. You guys, so you left the band right before the album. Did you? So then the band did their, their crazy thing and they're on uh, went on TV and the controversial stuff. You were you were already separated from all that um, nonsense. Well, I, I was already I was separated from that, and I was right. already doing my own thing. I had a right. I got a band called Red Shoes together. Which is my next question. So you had a couple of singles that did, did pretty well too, I believe. Or... Yeah, the first single did all right. The album did all right. Good album, yeah. you know. Re- relative term, well, but yeah, successful. Yeah, I mean, it went a plat- platinum sell around the world, and people still go on about it today. It was a, it was a pretty cool album, but it was a good band. It matured it. You know, it went on mm-hmm. to form Ultravox, Steve Nairn, Rusty Egan. We got the producer we got in was Mick Ronson, so I got to work with Mick Ronson. That's nice. The so you had how many albums do you have for them? Just the one. Just one. Just the okay. one. Okay, I read two. Um, and then from there you did that was a, you did the Spectre thing, right? And at this point, no, 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 after that I played with Iggy Pop for a sort of year and a half, two years. Made an album with him um, called the Soldier album. And okay. In fact, the first time I went to, with the States, I was t- just turned 23. The first time I went to New York, mm-hmm. on Halloween, we headlined the Palladium in New York on Canal Street. Everybody was dressed in Halloween gear. <laughs> and back and in England back then, nobody really celebrated Halloween. We do a bit more now. It's not really yeah. our thing. The whole, you know, so the whole audience was in Halloween gear. We were supported by the Cramps. What a bizarre and back, night. And I'm really pretty good. And backstage was Debbie Harry, dressed as a witch. She gave me a little kiss on the cheek. First time I came to New York. That is, that is pretty great. You probably yeah. did bigger. That show was probably bigger than you would have if you actually stayed in the band, because that that's pretty big. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good gig. Five, six thousand people. Big... Yeah, stadium's a pretty good deal. Um, so how so how long did you stay with him for? You see about about a year, year, year and a half, I think. Mainly through seventy nine. You, you recorded some stuff with him, like an album set. Yeah, it was an album called Soldier. Yep. So I got some songs on that and some co-writes with him. That was kind of fun to do. But that was the first time I'd ever done a real proper tour. You know, we'd done gigs with Pistols and Rexkins, but right. when we did stuff like that, we always had our friends with roadies who didn't really know what they were doing and stuff. And Iggy had been touring for a long time, so it was um, it was a bit of an eye-opener. It's a bit more professional. Yeah, that's pretty good. So then from there... We well, then, then I, I formed Bad Inspectors, yeah. Um, everybody was chasing us at one stage, but it didn't quite work out. Did a tour of the state, did a coast to coast tour of the states in a Ford LTD with a U-Haul trailer on the back. And that was great. It was one of the best tours I've ever done. It was like so much fun. And fun. You know, started off in San Diego, yeah, and ended up in um, where, where was the last gig on that tour? I know we we did a week at Hurrah's in in New York, um, and then I remember we ended up sort of up near Albany or somewhere like that. Oh, yep, I'm in New York. And it was snowing, and the electrics went <laughs> on the on the windows on the car, and they was all open, and it was like kind of minus twenty five somewhere. Like that. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So that was it probably was what mid eight was that like the mid eighties at that point. When you did that tour? Yeah, maybe 80, 81 so, or something. It wasn't a bad, it was, but it wasn't a bad time to be touring America. You know, it wasn't so... Yeah, it was doable. Yeah, was good, you, could, you could earn a bit of money from clubs and things. And right, I mean, it wasn't like... It was, good, it was good being in America and hanging out and making some friends. I remember there was a scene in New York there, you know, there was some good clubs, the Raw, the Mud Club. Um, yep. And else did we play? Um, uh, the Peppermint Lounge was still going. Mm-hmm. Place, places like that. It was cool. And you had earned your, your, your street cred with your name, plus, you know, I'm sure it didn't hurt what you had no. done before. <laughs> I mean, yeah. as far as New York, when you hear your name, you're like, oh, yeah, that's such a source. You get kind of, kind of props. So it probably made it easier. It's, it's you know. a double-edged sword, you know. It's a double-edged sword. It's, it's not, I'm not this proud of it, but, you know, everybody thinks they're going to get anarchy in the UK all night long, and I'm interested in other kinds of music, you know, so... Well, that's, that's what's really interesting, because you do, you have done some different types of music, too. Well, uh, I play both rock and roll, you know. <laughs> as they say. Well, I know, but you, you so, like, at this point, you're, you're touring, what are you, what are you doing now when you play? Well, what I've been doing now, I've got my own Glamour band, but we've, I've, made, I've made several albums over the past few years. I've made a new one at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. but it's not come out yet because of what's been going on. But um, the last album, I made it with Slim Jim Phantom, the drummer from Stray Cats, who's a friend of mine. He's great. And Al, and Al Slick, you know, wow. from Bowie and, yep. and that. And then Slim Jim's not on this new album because he was doing what he's doing in the States. But Al was over and he's, he's on my new album. And in fact, he was here in this flat through lockdown. He got stuck here. We've been touring. But we've been touring quite a lot, you know, doing stuff in England and abroad. We went and played the Fuji Festival in Japan last year. And you're always doing stuff. 
you know, and I do like a mixture of band stuff and, and just solo shows. I quite like playing solo stuff by myself. It always goes down well. You know, I've done Glastonbury and Montreux Jazz Festival just by myself. In fact, I did the Montreux Jazz Festival a few years back, about three or four years ago. And I was only there like one night and there was all these other people on. And um, when I did my set, I went out and was signing some things to these guys. I said, you seen anybody else? And they said, yeah, we, we went to see Neil Young. I said, well, how could you do that? Because I wanted to see Neil Young playing, but I couldn't because I had to do my gig at the same time as he <laughs> They said, we went for four numbers and then we came to see you. <laughs> you made I thought I'd better spend some time signing some stuff. Yeah. With you. It, it sucks when they do that shows, they kind of stack them against each other. So you have to choose kind of hard, hard. Yeah, it was like, it's like, okay, it, it was like that a few years back. I did something at the CBGB Festival in New York, and it was all in different clubs and venues, different size venues mm-hmm. in Montreux. But that, that was cool. So, a lot of musicians have a hidden talent or something they like to do, like paint or they're really good cooks. Oh, I, I'm not bad cooking. Are you? Yeah. What's, what's your best dish? I don't know. Various. I'm, I'm quite good at uh, lots of things. I've been doing a bit of Ita- Italian style cooking and I cooked, what did I cook the other night, which was good? Um, it was rainbow chard and anchovy pasta and pasta. It was great. That's good. Garlic. Yeah. And, and like... now what I've learned, and I've been cooking for years, but... Mm-hmm. I've learned to not be afraid of cooking and not to be afraid of just cooking it a little bit. You know, before you got in England, it's like, make sure the meat's cooked, make sure the peas are boiled, you know, you yeah. don't really have to do that, you know. That, that's great. I mean, I think it's fun because it, it is a lot of musicians are either they cook or they paint also that they're really. Well, I used, I, used to, I used to paint. I mean, that was one of the things that I did. I went to art school at the same time as I was getting the pistol together with Stephen Paul. And the same time I was working at Malcolm's, um, and I quite enjoyed painting, but I only really went to art school because I'd read that all the bands that I liked had started off in art school. So I went to art school to try and find a band, but I actually found a band after that. And then the very first show that we did was at the art school, which I organised. So I took the band to the art school, not the other way around. Yeah, everyone else says it the other way. It feels like every story from a lot of English bands, are they all start out yeah, with the art story. Well, like everybody in our reason. school in England went to the behavior band. Yeah, but the reason that was is because most people in bands are kind of lazy sods, right? Most people sort of finished school, didn't really know what they wanted to do. And going to art school, you, it, it bought you a bit of breathing space. Plus, I didn't get it because it had changed by then. But in the, in the 60s, you used to be able to get a grant from the government. So you would get some money, not a fortune, Right. You get a grant, so you had a little bit of money coming in. And, and art schools were like kind of hotbeds of ideas, you know, sort of late, later teenagers trying to find their way in the world and they're interested in that. And then you meet somebody who's interested in that. And then the art school I went to, it was mainly working class guys like me and, and um, very rich debutantes, you know, their, their father didn't know what to do and sent them there as some kind of finishing school. But it's, it's nothing wrong with that because it was quite a kind of um, 
it was kind of quite a rich stew, you know. And then well, I found in, in life, you know, the artists, they always needed need some kind of patron. And they're the kind of people who, who set up galleries. And then they might get the guy that they used to go to the canteen with, who they liked his paintings. Well, she was never going to paint him, but her dad set her up with a gallery. Oh, I'll get Fred, you know, who used to do those kind of dystopian abstract um, vortices kind of things. Yeah. I, I see if he wants to do his first ga gallery opening with me. And then it takes up. That's how these things work, you know. It's a bit like sort of a, a Parisian salon in the in the twenties or something like that. It makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of creativity. I I went to college. I went to college for recording and producing um, early in my life, and it was a recording and producing uh, and video school for one section. But they also had an art school with it and fashion. So it was in one building in in, um, in Atlanta. It was very eclectic, very creative. Right. And that's why I see the tie-in with like art and music and actually with cooking. It's all creative on some level, you know. Yeah, it's creative on some level. And, and I think the one thing you, I got from art college was, was um, you know, if you're going to do something, you got to you're going to do something well, you've got to apply yourself to it. You know, you can't piddle around. You've got to get on. A couple of my mates I went, you know, yeah. I got him to do a degree, although I didn't finish it because I got involved with sex business. You have to do a foundation course where you do a bit of everything. And lots of my friends kind of, they were kind of pretty good, but when school finished at yeah. five or six, say, they all went home to, to have their dinner. And then maybe we'd meet up later on. But my parents lived too far out. Yeah. It wasn't worth, so I would stay there and paint until the college actually shut at eight or nine o'clock with a couple of other people and then meet up people to go to the gig. But all the people who stayed behind, they're the ones who got accepted in the degree thing. And the kids who went home to have their dinner with their mum didn't. So there's a, like a story in that somewhere, you know. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, I think like when I went to school, I paid, I had teeth and loans to do my same thing. After class, I was a custodian at the school to help pay for it. All the kids that the parents paid for stuff, they, they went home, they did this and that. I, you know, I worked there or whatever. I went straight through a lot of those guys, they dropped out, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had to, I had to pay, I had to work. I mean, I was sweeping up cigarette butts with the same guys I went to class with hours earlier to pay for it. So I'm gonna pass, I'm going through, you know. And yeah, well there you go. That's why I was working for Malcolm. Yeah, it's a working class. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for the love of it, it was because I was trying to earn some money, you know. Do you yeah. think did you so with the art stuff, do you did you do a lot of um in your, own, in your own publications, like, you know, promotional stuff, did it carry over? In any of your no, I, 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 I like to kind of delegate a little bit <laughs> now. And I think gone's the time. And every now and then I pick up um, a paintbrush or a pencil, but, you know, it's one of these things you've got to keep up. And, it, and I always end up disappointing myself with my capability. And so I kind of have ideas for things, but... I, and I actually quite like the artisanship of painting. And I'm very good at saying other people's work and saying, well, they're not very good, but I don't want to be not very good too. So I've kind of either got to practice a real lot. The COVID's or, a bit time, huh? But, you know, my art is my songwriting. So. No, I get that. It's kind of just, I was just kind of curious. Yeah. Like, a little extra thing they do on the side for fun. Yeah, you know. and it's, I don't really do anything for fun. It's by my, my job... Yes. It's for fun. I might not be doing anything for weeks, musically. Right. But 
you're being like a sponge and next time you sit down and write some songs, everything you've experienced is all adding up to something. So I don't really ever fret about songwriting. It's actually I, I know I know something will come, you know. How does it, how do songs how do you approach songwriting? Are you somebody that sits down, you know, some people sit down every day and they're gonna take a pad and they're just gonna jam. Some people are like, I couldn't force a song out. And some people are like, I'm sleeping in bed and I, I hear this. Um, I, I, I think I write most of my songs from walking down the street and you see something and you get a little idea in your head mm -hmm. and it kind of, it's like an earworm and it, it nags away at you. And, and when it, when it goes away, that's fine. When it doesn't go away, that, that's then is the time to pick up the guitar and try and work it out and yeah. get the notepad and fill in all the blanks and try and make sense of this kind of abstract idea that you've had. But the ideas that don't stick with you, if you're trying to write a catchy pop song, you know, some people record everything in case they forget it. And I always yeah. think, well, if you can't remember it, how do you expect anybody else to? You know? <laughs> it's kind of true. It's, it's an excuse or maybe right. it's... But, you know, ideas come. The only problem is I end up with quite a lot of walking pace songs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anarchy. Nothing, nothing is slower too fast. Just all the starting yeah. along. Yeah. Um, what are your um, instruments we're using now for like your main gear? Um, like your go-to, you know, your acoustic guitar player, right? So what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, now? I, 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 when I, I do my, I'm not much an acoustic guitar player, but I'm a good strummer and I can keep time. And I know all my major and minor chords, most of them, and a few six and seven. But my approach to rhythm guitar playing is a bit like Bowie in The Spiders from Mars. You know, he, he was the rhythm guitarist on the acoustic. Yeah. That's what I like. You know, and when I was playing with Slim Jim, the album, if you check it out, it's called Good To Go. Yeah, I will. It's got a bit of a sort of rockabilly feel, and that was deliberate. And, you know, Jim swings the stuff. And That's kind of his thing, right? I kind miss... of swing it when I strum, and it, it make, I'm fed up with, like, chug eights on the guitar, you know. Uh, yeah, second person I've heard that from this week. Right. Yeah, it's been done to death. The, chug the chugging is, is pretty old with a lot of musicians at this point, I keep hearing. Yeah. Yeah, actually, and that's why I like playing with L. You know, he's a fantastic lead guitar player. So, so actually, playing with both those guys because didn't they actually they had a band, right? It was it was, it was a Phantom Rocker and Slick for a while. They, 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 they well, had I did, but I, ne I never knew that when I made the last album. I'd met L before. I did some yeah. little project with Clem Burke maybe ten years ago, in with a friend of mine who lives in New York, and just got involved with it for a laugh. But that's where I met L, and we got on quite well. We got this real good sort of Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau thing going on. <laughs> First time I met him, he said. He said, hey, man, what, what key is this song? And I said, oh, A, you know, or no, or B or something yeah. like that. And he got his capo out. I'm like, that's cheating. And he went, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, we, so we persisted with that kind of thing. Demeter. But then when I was making the Good To Go album, I've been doing loads of acoustic stuff. And I went to see Bob Dylan with a friend of mine, this girl called Patty Paladin. He used to work with Johnny Saunders. Mm -hmm. um, good friend of mine. And she's a big Bob Dylan fan, and I kind of I'm a Bob Dylan appreciator, but not a fan. But I took her as a as a present. Yeah. And we went to the Albert Hall, and I couldn't recognise one fucking song. And watching him, he really, you know, he does 200 gigs a year, and he looked like he didn't want to be there. He didn't engage with the audience. So I was bored, rigid, but the band were fantastic. 
the band was Charlie Sexton and Tony Garnier on double bass. I can't remember who the drummer was. He played most of the stuff with brushes. And I thought, oh, that's kind of quite a good idea. Who, Charlie who Sexton I... was playing with him? Pardon? Charlie Sexton was playing with him? Yeah, he was in his band. I didn't even know that. He's good. Yeah. He's good. He's a good player. Yeah. So anyway, I'm thinking, and it turns out Charlie Sexton is mates with Bill. But anyway, I'm thinking, <laughs> I want to make an album. I've been doing all this acoustic stuff. Oh, and that was the other thing. Bob Dylan didn't even play acoustic. He, he just stood there or he played the keyboards, but I think he's got arthritis on his hand or something like that. Um, but anyway, I thought maybe that kind of quieter sound might, I can make a band album. Mm-hmm. That lends itself to the acoustic stuff being done. Who do I know? Oh, Slim Jim. He's going. You got a like a, a little drum kit, and I, so I asked him. So I said to him, "Any? Would you do it?" And he said, "I'd love to." I said, "You got any ideas for a guitarist?" And he said, "About El Slip." I didn't know he knew it. Ah. And it all kind of fell into place, and we did it. And I only found out afterwards that they was in a band together. I didn't even know that. So yeah, I remember that. But, but rock and roll is full of these weird kind of. Cross yeah. There's a there was a great book that came out. It was a guy who used to be like the cartoonist and the enemy, um, mm-hmm. Pete Frame, and he did the Rock Family Trees. Yeah, it was all people who've been in bands and spin-off bands and that. that, that, that. And there's a book that he put out. It's, it's oh, really? I have to look that up because I love that. That's actually it's really good. Pete, Pete Frame's Rock Family Trees. I check it out. That's... That I'm even in it, and they might even have Phantom Rock or Slick in there. Now, it's one of those things that he has yeah. to keep updating because. You know, the story is unending. It spreads. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's what's really great about you. You usually don't lost things. Actually, didn't you do something with Johnny Thunders too? Or, or, or no, wait, no, New York Dolls. I did something with Johnny Thunders. I, I like Johnny. I, was, I met him on the Anarchy tour. He was on that. I think they wanted to try and get me as their bass player instead of Billy Raff. But I like Billy and I knew what those guys were up to and I didn't want to get involved with that. But many years later, I was married and then we split up and my ex-wife, we got divorced and she moved to Australia. She couldn't go any further from me without starting <laughs> to come back, right? But we said we'd, we'd still try and be friends and keep them in touch and I'd put the phone down to her. Anyway, about two days later, Johnny Thunders called me up. He said, hey man, what are you doing? Want to do some playing with me? And I went, oh, I don't know, Johnny, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Australia and all right, all right, you're on. So I only did it so I could go and see my ex. Some stones. Yeah, nice it, was, it was fun, you know. It was I know, it is. It's Harry funny. Jones and um, uh, <laughs> Jerry Nolan's playing drums. You know, it was kind of cool. Right, and we went to Japan as well. Wow. Yeah. You, you play some really fun fun gigs, a lot of different people. And that's the whole thing. I mean, people realize how much you've been doing with everyone, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I think most musicians' lives are like that. You know, unless you're really... Unless you're really runaway successful in a band and, you know, you have to kind of keep keep the um, keep the brand going, you know, you're not supposed to be seen to be doing anything else. But that's kind of boring, you know. It's real boring. But, you know, but even like somebody like Keith Richards, who is that keeps the brand going, he does his expensive winos thing, you know. Charlie Watts does his jazz big band things. Ronnie Wood's always playing with somebody else all the time. He did a lot. You know, yeah. you meet people and you get little ideas rub off. And I think when, once people get to a reasonable standard of playing, mm-hmm. they tend to play like their personalities. Well, I, I think it defines whether you're a musician or, I hate that term, a rock star. You're, you're a musician. I mean, you 
play because you like to play, you know, it's not about, you know, the next big thing on TV or, you know, success is good because it helps pay the bills so you can keep well, going. I'd quite, quite like to, I'd quite like to be the next big thing on TV again, but on my own time. Well, that's, own, so. that, that's the difference of being a musician in rock. I'm saying if it comes, it comes. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to start looking like a boy band all of a sudden. You're not going to go change your look to be the next, no. you know, no, you're going to, you're going to play what you play. Um, and in between all that, you were doing, you, you actually were still doing some tours with Sex Pistols, which is great. Because I think, well, you, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always, I've seen myself in these days as like one of those gas stations, you know, the, 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 the first and last gas station on PCH1, you know, I, I was the first bass player and the last bass player. It's true. I, I think it's, it's great um, that you guys got to do it because you guys had, not just them, but you deserved money, you know, the, the cash cow of the band, you guys. Oh, should have well, gotten some of the, the spoils back so the fact you guys were able to get together and do a couple of tours to help you know get yeah, back but that, put wasn't, into it. That, wasn't the, that wasn't the only reason we did it I mean, when we first reformed and we did the filthy lucator in 96 i mean we was only just pushing 40 i mean we're in our 60s now all of us in fact somebody said something the other day i was working it out i think it was longer or about the same from when we first reformed in 96 as it was from when we reformed in 96 to the original time. <laughs> wow. it's, a bit like, it's a bit like, you know, when your parents talk about this, well, perhaps you're younger than me, but, you know, parents here always used, well, you wouldn't know this. Well, maybe perhaps they talk about the Vietnam War or something, but over here, our parents and your grandparents would always talk about the Second World War. Yeah. You know, and you think, why are they going on about that? But like, in the early 60s, it was like, well, 45. It was only 15 years before then. Then punk oh. rock was 20 years before. You know, it's like... Wow, that was that long ago. Because you no, know, both my grandparents, uh, my grandfather's fought in, in the World War. So I grew up in the house with them, living with them. So yeah, I... <laughs> yeah. They're the same story. So that's a long time ago, man. I, getting old. Time's just creeping up. Creeping up, huh? Can't do nothing about it. No, just it time's going fast. The older you yeah, get, the just faster... Just keep taking those vitamin tablets. Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it out, got an album. Well, I mean, early, early, this year, earlier this year, I was, I, I made an album. I'd sort of recorded it this time last year, all the loud bits, and then I spent over the Christmas period doing all the vocals at home and the backing vocals and all yep. over that. And then I did a tour of the UK with L. Um, and then my plan was, I, I was actually supposed, I've been invited by the Dropkick Murphys, who I did a European tour with just opened it up for them. I was going to do their big St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Oh, wow. And um, then I had about a dozen just solo acoustic shows up and down the East Coast and in Canada. And then I was going to stay in New York and sit in on the mixes of the album. But I couldn't do any of that. So it's all been put on the back burner. And the guy mixed the album, but I've got to tweak it and I really need to sit there with him. Yeah, with him. Um, I'm a sex pistol. You, I can say what I like. You can. Well, I was trying not to just clump you in that thing. That was the whole point. I'm trying to like yeah. make you as... Well, well, it, it he also did a sex pistol. End, yeah. I, I know, it does, but I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't... It's not about... I don't want to just lump you as, you know... It is It is the, the satellite that's going to pull you into people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, oh, you can't deny it. It's, it's something you did that was... That little lightning in a bottle moment you had influenced so many people it's so huge it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing 
I know. But it's, I'll it's, tell you one thing, I've just been asked to maybe do like a podcast series or something that I'm talking to some people about. And I wrote a book, which you can buy. Perhaps you, you want to just plug, plug. I was, I was a teenage sex person. I will, I said, actually. Why don't you call that as the title of the thing? And I'm like, oh. And then I thought, actually, I could call it, I was a teenage sex person. But I was a teenage sex pistol. But, 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 and then you can go off to anywhere else you like. I like office. that. Yeah, I, I will. The so book. I was a teenage sex pistol. But, you know, I think there's all this other stuff. I mean, my favourite all-time record, I think, at the moment, and it all depends on what day what side of bed you got out in the morning, but I think it's grooving by the young rascals. And I keep saying, you know, it's fantastic, most best fantastic pop record ever, I think. I like pop music, but it's got to be of some kind of consequence, but that consequence doesn't always have to be, you know, bringing the government down. No, I get that. I mean, that's the point of music. Everybody has their opinion on it, and everybody can love it for different reasons. Yeah. I, the best part, though, I think, with me, is if you, if you, even if it's serious music, that the, the artist afterwards can take a kind of laugh at themselves or like a smile. You know what I mean? When you're just too serious with the entire the entire way through about your art and just who you are, you know, gets yeah. a little dry. Gets a little dry. Yeah, you got to take the piss out of yourself once in a while. You know. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm not too po-faced about things. No, I don't think you are. You're pretty, <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, what about streaming? Are you doing things streaming? I know some artists are doing that. Well, I, I did when El was here. We did some face Facebook live things. Yeah. If you go on my Facebook page, I think they're still up there. You can. Right. We I'll just did. It and what, what what we found is if we did like one every week or every two weeks, I can't mm-hmm. remember what we did. We did about four or five of them. And in fact, we played at the Jerry Ramon benefit. Been invited to do it, couldn't do it obviously. So we did that. We did a thing for Glastonbury. There was an alternative Glastonbury went on. We went and filmed it in front of a green screen in the local school playground around the corner in the summer, and the guy superimposed us on Pyramid State. So that's <laughs> on there somewhere. But we did some um, we did some sort of Facebook Live things, um, and then it kind of dawned on us that you can't keep doing the same set every week. So we had to we learned like four different sets. You know, all these kind of crazy covers. Yeah. There's a great, Elle did a pretty good version of um, Santo and Johnny, what's it called? Dun, 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 dun. Guitar instrumental group. It's by oh. Santo and Johnny. Like 60s guitar kind of thing. I'm not getting it. There's a lot of artists that are doing that though. Doing the, yeah, you know, adding that, uh, fun songs and playing from home or doing, you know, like a Facebook live yeah, so, or, you know, I meant more, like, like, I mean, I mean, like a formal thing where you're like, you know, you kind of support your album and you kind of like a, you know, a paid streaming thing or kind of like, you know, a bigger production kind of thing. Yeah, I, I probably will do, but that's until I know when the record's definitely coming out, I, I'll, I'll be working on that in the meantime. Yeah, but then we're doing stuff with El. I said, oh, come on, let's do this one, like we do with um, Summer in the City. Yes, and yeah. he goes, hey, yeah, I'd like to do that one. He's, he's my friend, John B. Sebastian. I was around his house just before I come over, and it's like, oh, really? Nice. That's funny. Uh, Small world. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, man. This has, been, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you talking. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed talking to you because I was watching the soccer. We call it football. But my team lost 2-0, so you're taking my mind off of it. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, and I had to pay £10 for them to, to stream to me. See? And I, so that £10 wasted. Hey man, you're the best. Thank you. All right. Enjoy that. See you later. Okay. Okay, bye.